0: We'll be looking today um, from Mark, chapter 6, and also from Matthew, and also from John. So we'll get a bit of a tour. But before we get started with a message this morning, I have a question for everyone to consider uh, individually. The question is this why did you come to church today no really why did you come stated another way what did you expect to get out of being here today what did you want out of this why are we doing it why are we doing this at all this morning Because it's our tradition on the first day of the week to sit in pews with other people, most of whom we barely know, and hear somebody talk about Jesus and the things he did a long time ago. You feel like that sometimes? On the other hand, did anyone among us decide that Giving to our brothers and sisters this morning is more important than what we get out of being here. Okay, you don't need to raise your hands. Yeah. You know I'm kind of famous for saying some hard things once in a while. It's actually not normal that, that you'd want to be here so that you could encourage someone else in their faith. Give more than you get. That's not normal. It's unusual because it's godly. What's normal among human and earthly organizations is that we individually seek our own interests. We want our desires fulfilled. That's who we are as human beings, we're born that way. We may call them noble desires, but under the surface, nonetheless, they seek satisfaction of the flesh too often and not the spirit too often. It may be that many of us, the church in the United States, are way too often showing up to church on Sunday as consumers of Christian culture. We come, we feel better by the time we leave, so we keep coming back. We like the show. Sadly, without ever really saying it out loud, we sometimes tell ourselves that if our expectations are in some way unmet, it's not been a good day at church. We don't say that to other people, and hopefully we rarely think that. In fact, We can recognize that every day at church is a good day because we spend time with people who Jesus loves so much that he died for them to take away their sin just like he did for me. That's what makes it good. Our connectedness in Christ. It's in Christ and it needs to be cherished Any kids here that don't know that word? Cherished. We love it. We want to keep it. We want to protect it. Hmm. Boy, it's always always a risk for me to look away from the screen. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, oh, where was that? Our connectedness is in Christ and it needs to be cherished because it's the thing that makes us function as the body, the body of Christ. Spiritual things that happen have our maker's production stamp. They're the things that outlast our flesh and bones. They're the things that we store up in heaven it's kind of hard to get a hold of that thought. Where's the storage locker? Do I get a big one? Or They're stored up in heaven. It's spiritual. And God keeps track of them. Those things that we've done to walk in agreement with him. Hmm. The work of the Spirit of God makes... It takes place right here among us every time we meet. Every time we're together. Why is that? Because the Spirit is in us, right? Sorry, sometimes I treat you like a classroom full of kids that I expect an answer from. (laughs) Uh, Because it's true, I'm going to ask you to please take a few minutes today to go out of your way to be a blessing to several people before you go home. Take those few extra minutes. Talk to somebody that you never talked to. We kind of get in the habit of talking. You know, we make friends here in our congregation, and pretty soon we get enough friends that just trying to talk to them is hard. Somebody slips away before we get to them. Uh, Let's go beyond that. Let's try to talk to people and be an encouragement to them and learn their name. I am still struggling with remembering people's names. And sometimes, sometimes the enemy uses that on me. It's like, I I can't say their names, so I won't say anything because I've already learned their name four times. And I've forgotten. Be bold. If you need to, say, I'm sorry. It's not coming to mind this morning. But be a blessing to the people that you don't regularly talk with. Good fellowship has happened already today. Trustworthy teaching has happened already. Genuine worship has happened more teaching and encouragement is about to happen. I'd like another thing to happen too, that there is this one big idea that I'd like each of you to go home with today. There'll be other valuable things to glean from our passage, but the big idea I'd like to emphasize will be plain to see a little bit later call that a tease. (laughs) If you know your Bible and you've been through this passage, uh, it won't be a surprise. There's a lot to talk about, even in a rather short and familiar passage. And then we're going to backtrack to focus on what the 12 disciples said and did. And then we're going to backtrack again to refocus on what Jesus said and did and then we'll look at things we say and do. So, let's talk to the Lord just one more time before we really get underway here. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can be here together today. You've already heard all of the other prayers that we've prayed, asking for your help and your presence. And asking that the things we do today would be pleasing to you, please use every word from your word to move your people and to bring about spiritual fruit. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So in your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45, We see what happened right after Jesus took those loaves and fish and divided them and divided them and kept on dividing them until over 5,000 people were fed. Now we're here at what he does next. Verse 45 begins with that word again that's so famous in the book of Mark, immediately, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, the crowd, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat that held the disciples was out on the sea and he alone was on the land. And he saw that they were making uh, headway painfully. It's kind of interesting. I saw that word and I thought, why didn't he say something like difficult, with, with difficulty or something? And then I remembered, they were rowing the boat. He's not kidding about the pain. If you've been out there for hours, rowing against the wind. The wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, anybody know about the watches of the night? There were traditionally three, and then the Romans added a fourth. And anyway, this was kind of the last three hours of darkness before the morning would come. Fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. I'm going to quit commenting until I get a little further here. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out. For they all saw him and were so relieved to see their Lord and Savior. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Terrified. That was kind of good timing. Terrified. Terrified. They were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Not so good if you're in a sailboat, but great if you're rowing the boat. and they were utterly astounded, not just terrified, astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Huh? The problem here was that they didn't understand about the loaves? That was already done and finished. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, fighting the wind, trying to get to where Jesus told them to go. And he says, They didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That's a strange one, isn't it? Sometimes scripture says things that feel a little weird. And we don't quite get it. I think that John is going to help us understand that a little bit here. All right, now, let's talk about what the disciples said and did, how they felt. We start that section over, verse 45, and we don't see the disciples doing anything until we get to the middle of the paragraph, where it says he meant to pass by them. They saw him walking on the sea. Next thing the disciples did, they thought it was a ghost. The next thing they did, they cried out. I don't know what you say when you think it's a ghost. They all saw him and were terrified. They were utterly astounded. They did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. That's what the guys who became our apostles did in this circumstance. They'd been with Jesus long enough. They should have had, I don't know, I think they should have had a different response. Of course, if I'd been in the boat with them, I'd have been the 13th disciple going, <laughs> somebody passed me a lifesaver or something. Let's go to John 6 right now. The bread of life. We're all really familiar with the scripture that talks about Jesus being the bread of life, right? If you heard that, you would recognize it. Yeah, I've read that before. We even make a big deal about it in the church which we should. But I think we have missed the connection between that and Jesus walking on the water and the feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, verse 33, in this copy of the scriptures, the way they've divided things up, Right here, it says, Jesus walks on the water. The next heading, Jesus, the bread of life. It hadn't been even a day since they'd finished with the crowd, and Jesus said, you guys get the boat, go to Bethsaida, I'll see you there. And the water incident occurs and were told they did not understand about the loaves. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Those are the words of the crowd. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Yeah. Hmm. That close to the miraculous incident, the disciples, Jesus is recognizing, didn't get it. He was making a connection between those loaves that he broke and broke and filled baskets and he kept breaking just as he keeps giving himself to an unsaved world to a world that needs him so desperately. It says that the crowds realizing that the disciples had gone that way and Jesus was up on the mountain on foot they went around the lake Maybe because of the wind on on the lake, uh, they beat the disciples there. The disciples had the shortcut, but it didn't turn out that way. They beat them there. And when they get there, what do they want? More bread, the next free meal. And Jesus, his disciples apparently got in the boat having just seen him do this astounding miracle, and they get out in the lake, and they get afraid, and (laughs) they do what we do. We get ourselves in a position, either by our own doing or something else, and we forget to look for Jesus. Where is the Lord in these events that I'm facing? I need, I need to keep my eyes on Him. So some commentators, in fact, most of the commentators that I looked at didn't make this connection. So I may be all wet in the midst of this passage. And maybe that had nothing to do with it. But I think Jesus immediately talking about how he's the bread of life, he was disappointed in his disciples that they didn't make that connection. They're just doing the disciple thing. Right? Just do what Jesus says to do get in a boat, go to Bethsaida. Okay. We can be that way. Let's look at the passage again and look at what Jesus is doing. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he, he dismissed the crowd, he had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray, he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully. He came to them. He meant to pass by them. He spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. How can we say that? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. However you say it, meaning is pretty clear. It's the same thing. Mm -mm. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. So in that entire passage, we get to see that Jesus is doing the things intentionally, and he allowed them, in fact instructed them, to get out on that lake again. Remember? They'd been out there before, and they thought the boat was going to sink Yeah. Their hearts were hardened. Hmm. What about Peter? Isn't this the story where we see Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water to Jesus? We need to go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 22. Actually, I've got that here. So, Jesus is walking up to the boat. And Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And his friend said, What, you crazy? Or some similar comment. Peter didn't care about what other people thought. He's like, That's my Jesus. Command me to come to you. Sometimes he gets a bad rap because he looked down and He became afraid. We would all have done that. Come on, give Peter a break here. At least he got out of the boat. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. He wasn't going just anywhere. Only Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith. Now, we always hear that as, Oh, you of little faith. But it could also be like Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Maybe Jesus was saying, You of little faith. Hmm. But he did ask him why he doubted. Don't you remember, like 12 hours ago, you were watching me create things out of nothing? Of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why do we doubt God? When we're in an unusual position that we really can see that we need him. Why do we doubt him? Do you not all personally have things in your life that you can look back to? like looking back at the Lowe's and fishes event and be encouraged by those things and decide, nope, I'm trusting God. Most of us do, thankfully. Once in a while, we have something that's so big and so scary that we doubt. We want to trust you, Lord. This doesn't, This doesn't look like it's going to turn out well. That's where we live quite a bit. As wonderful as all these details are, there's the fact that three out of the four accounts of this situation leave it out part about Peter. Hmm. Looking back through Matthew's extended account, we can see that this addendum paragraph kind of is more about what Peter did and said. It's very important that we understand that Peter's statement, truly you are the son of God, is spot on. And it is very important for us to agree with it. However, with Mark and Luke and John's accounts, the most important thing for us to remember was Jesus' last words. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Here, have some bread. The ESV, <clears throat> you can find the exact phrase, do not be afraid, 38 times. The phrase, fear not, same meaning, 142 times. The phrase, trust me, 14 more times. Trust in the Lord, 35 more times. Hmm. It's as if God doesn't want us to be afraid or something. He doesn't want us to be afraid of what could happen. Could happen. Because He knows what will happen and He loves us, He wants us to not be afraid. Keep moving forward. Don't stop here and be afraid. He's obviously not playing here. That's 229 times. God says he wants us to trust him and not be afraid. I actually considered saying these phrases out loud 229 times for the emphasis. Then I decided I liked you too much to have to do. But for your sake, I'll skip and trust that you got the point. Over and over again, we need to practice living with a fearless heart. Like going to the gym. We need to practice living with a fearless heart. That seems like a big ask, doesn't it? But it's the Lord who's asking us to do that. Hmm. Together we can be glad that our Lord... Our one true Lord hasn't asked us to go out on Lake Michigan on on a small boat that we're rowing in the midst of a windstorm so that we can practice not being afraid. I am glad for that. Not necessary. No, instead he allows us to move through life bumping into things and stepping in stuff. We get sick. We lose friends. We lose family, we lose jobs, we have money problems, we experience opposition and injustice. We get to be treated unfairly and cheated and lied about, we get to endure threats and even physical harm. We get lots of opportunities to be afraid, don't we? I think he wants us to practice trusting him. <clears throat> Here's an idea. Every time you get surprised, you know, a surprise that makes your eyes get big and your world goes still for a second before you say something like, "Uh-oh." Every time that happens, that kind of surprise, say the name of Jesus. Say his name out loud and say that he is your Lord. That is so amazing what happens in here when our mouth will declare the truth, something that's true. I remember doing that when uh, Jenny and I were still fairly newly married. That was a while ago. We decided to, with family and some friends, go up north and go skiing. So we get in the car, everything's packed up. I'm driving up, you don't care what I'm driving. I'm north of Lansing, just a little ways, and all at once, I hit a patch of black ice going 60 miles an hour. (laughs) And the car goes like this. And I'm going down the road, completely sideways. And I touch the wheel a little bit and the car comes back and I touched it too much and it goes all the way over this way. And the guy, the friend with us in the back seat is just losing it. What do you think came to my mind? The name of Jesus. When we're in those kind of situations, we don't have any trouble identifying where our help comes from. And you know that I stayed calm and I said, Lord Jesus, fix this (laughs) problem. Actually, I don't know exactly the words I said, but I remember reaching out to him and the car comes back perfectly straight down the road before we hit dry pavement. It was a good weekend. Nothing that happened on the ski hill could bother me. (laughs) The Lord had my back, our back. Hmm. We do ask friends and family and sometimes even strangers to pray when we realize we got a problem then we keep being afraid. Man, that's a strong thing in us, isn't it? We ask people to pray, and then we don't believe the prayers are going to be heard. Maybe we're afraid that God's got a different agenda for us than solving this particular problem. Sometimes he does. And in the midst of that, he loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He never forgets his kids. Mm. We keep checking our bag of skills to see what we can do to fix the problem or stop the avalanche. And the fear keeps increasing as we keep staring at it. Huh? It's worse when you stare at it. Get busy talking to the Lord. And don't quit. Meanwhile, Jesus is calmly saying, same thing he said to his disciples, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Sometimes we can clearly see that God loves us and is our only hope. Like, especially when we think about death. What would be better is seeing that all the time God is our only real hope. We can see it in the midst of a problem, hopefully but he's also our only real hope when we're just cruising through a day or a week or this year and things are going pretty well. You ever thank him for the things that didn't happen? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know the number. Right? Some of us give God's ministering angels... Lots to do. Hmm. What would be better is seeing that all the time God is our only real hope. And that can be because we have a new mind, our old mind has been washed clean. We can now be heavenly minded. Our hope is not in the things of this world. We have a far greater hope, as that old hymn says, makes the things of this world go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We can walk at a level of trust that drives out fear. We really can. Do we? Well, of course we don't always do that. That's why we need to keep practicing. Keep practicing, turning to the Lord when, when that big, ugly thing jumps up in front of us. We keep practicing. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took, control, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When we have a problem, does Jesus immediately stick out our hand? It's not that all our problems get solved immediately, but he's there with us immediately. He never left. Instead of sticking out his hand, he's sticking out his whole arm and walking with us. Maybe you've heard him whisper. I got your back. Don't worry. Keep going. By chapter six, we can see that the twelve were making spiritual progress. Remember in chapter 4, they were in a storm, and Jesus, after he calms the storm, they respond with fear of Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, we, we talked about that. They respond with fear of Jesus. Who is this? They're talking among themselves. And he says, Why were you afraid? Have you no faith? And the disciples say, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And two chapters later, they've gone from fear of him and demonstrating no faith to showing relief that the guy walking on the water was Jesus. Just two chapters later. Then too, there was Peter at least showing a little faith. What was his great declarative statement? Truly, say it with me, you are the son of God. Hmm. Good progress. How would they have become the apostles of the church if they hadn't experienced fear that was then removed by Jesus. They didn't know what they were in training for. Jesus did. How would they have had the confidence that they were worshiping the Son of God if they hadn't been in the hard places with him? Did you know that Jesus commends us who believed their testimony even though we did not see the proofs as his first disciples did. Hmm. Jesus, he's been removing fear and replacing it with faith for our brothers and sisters since he started the church. And now, even our generation gets to see, we get to experience how he unshakably and permanently is our hope, our life our Redeemer, our Master, and our God, unshakable. You know what happened to Peter and the other 11 apostles in the boat? What happened to them can happen to us. And probably for most of us has been happening for a while. Our faith is growing because we've been in hard places with Jesus. We can get get better at trusting him in the midst of our personal fears and our shared fears. For the disciples in the boat, it was a shared fear. This morning, we're here this morning recognizing and wanting to be together because We're one of Jesus' congregations. We're part of his body that gets to do things together. Do we have any shared fears? I think maybe there was a few shared fears on the road this morning. Hmm. We can get better at trusting him. We can also ask him for help the help we need to trust and not fear. It's okay to ask him to help us trust and not fear. We're still walking around in flesh bodies. And so we still fear, but it's what we do with it that matters. And we can ask him for help. He's not like, "No, well, you do this on your own. He wants to help us. He put his spirit in each of us to teach us and guide us and comfort us not only in the midst of our trials but all the way through to the end of our trials. (coughs) Makes me want to say, yeah, baby. He's taken us all the way. Now, you know that I like to make... The scripture personal to us. I've tried to do that this morning. But brace yourselves. Here's another one. Is there a fear that has ensnared you and is forcing you to watch it, keeping you looking at it instead of looking at Jesus? Anybody experiencing that? That title phrase of the song I mentioned earlier, turn your eyes upon Jesus, it's good advice. Our parents and grandparents who sang that song, our spiritual grandparents, they knew that was good advice. Now, if something quickly came to your mind this morning when I asked you that question, is there a fear that has ensnared you You can't seem to get away because it's got a good grip. If something came to mind for you, something just that fast when I said that, that's something significant in your life. Hold that up to Jesus. Probably again, I can say, you've been praying about these things, our big fears, hold that up to him and say, Lord, I trust you. Practice not fearing this week. Romans 8.37. You didn't expect me to go there. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you, Lord. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid.